This podcast is brought to you by ChasingRoos.com, the online store for international rugby league fans. You're listening to Chasing Kangaroos, the rugby league podcast for fans who are passionate about seeing the game played in more places. What is up, Kangaroo Chasers, and welcome to another episode of the podcast for International Rugby League fans by International Rugby League fans. I'm, of course, your host, Michael Carboni. If you've been listening for a little while, you can call me Carbs. And my guest today, well, he's been a sports broadcaster for about three decades. He's a storyteller, he doesn't mind a beer and a punt, and is a self-proclaimed palmy expert. That's chicken parmigiana for our international listeners. Now, he's currently part of the Triple M commentary team. He's on stand as well, and he hosts his own podcast. It's called Andy Raymond Unfiltered. And I'm going to start today's chat with the same way he starts his pod. So, Andy, tell us in your own words, mate, who is Andy Raymond? Who is Andy Raymond? Uh, I think I'm actually still trying to figure that out. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, mate, I am... Um couple of things I'm really proud of and it, it goes back to how I was brought up but I am honest uh, and I'm loyal uh, loyal to a fault probably uh, if you're a friend of mine and someone I love um, you know that's someone in the, in the close circle I would do absolutely anything and go above and beyond for you um, but I'm just uh, essentially a uh, a, a very average guy who enjoys smiling, um, enjoys uh, the, the days as I can, and loves my footy. Uh, my real week starts on a Thursday night at eight o'clock and finishes about the same time on a Sunday. Yep. Uh, throughout the winter months, I, I just love my footy, and as, as we sit here recording this early August. I am already looking forward to Saturday, October 15 and the start of the World Cup. Um, but that's that's essentially who I am, loyal, loyal and honest um, and just, a, just a, a really an average bloke, I, I guess. You're an average bloke with an awesome job, mate. You get to, uh, you know, anyone that's listened to your pod, they'll hear that you have regular interviews. Sometimes you'll have 13 guests on a pod or something crazy like mm. that. So you get to you get you have the ear of a lot of players and former players and and that sort of thing. So really today I wanted to just chat to you, get get your opinion, and I know you've got the lay of the land and and the ear of many players as well. So I just want to talk international footy with you. I'm glad you mentioned the World Cup, and I thought I'd um I'd give you some context about who we're we're speaking to or who's listening. So I wanted to tell you a little bit about our listeners to to sort of Wonderful. give you yeah the the context of our community. So, Andy, we call ourselves the kangaroo chasers for obvious reasons, if you, if you get that. Um, half of us are probably from Australia and the rest of us from places in Europe, the Americas and part of Asia and the Pacific. Even us Aussies, we, you know, if the kangaroos are playing, we're probably supporting the other team because we, we want to see international 
rugby league thrive and succeed. So, oh, yeah, yeah. you know, that's it's probably unpatriotic of us, but it's just how it is. Um, mm. We all follow the NRL or the Super League or both, um, but we also follow local competitions in places like France, PNG, Serbia, Brazil, the Netherlands, Canada, the Philippines, Fiji, wow. and so many more places. Um, we like the fact that Brian Tohok can play for New South Wales and Samoa, and we think v- Victor Radley should be able to do the same for New South Wales and England. Um, we die for Tonga. Uh, we have hope that there could be a pro league in the USA one day. And we're a little bit disappointed that when Peter Volandis talks about expansion, he means Brisbane too instead of Perth or Christchurch. So, mate, that's yep. a little bit about us. Yeah, no, I, gee, there's, there's a lot of very logical points there, mate, and very, very valid points. Um, we, we as a game... I still don't think have it right and we, we don't really understand what the term expansion means. At grassroots, the game is going uh, well. When, when I say grassroots, at the elite level within Australia, the game is going well. Yes, it is growing and becoming more competitive on an international scene, but by focusing on the international scene... That opens up just so many more eyeballs uh, onto our game. And, you know, you're a marketing guy, mate, and the more eyeballs you have on a product, and if the product is good, it perpetuates in every form of your business, from sponsorship to participation, all the way down to the kids idolising you know, they're heroes. So I would love to see more done in terms of, gen, you know, what I term genuine expansion. Yeah. Uh, I, I think from my perspective, it has just got to be Perth next within Australia. It, I mean, it just has to be. They've, they've gone ahead with the second Brisbane team that already looks like they're going to have a, a really tough couple of years. And, a new club can just not afford that, yep. and it's not good. It's not good for the game. Um, I was really lucky in the late '90s when Super League hit, and the Western Reds and the Perth Reds were admitted to the competition. Uh, I was lucky enough to do oh, probably 20 trips over to WA yeah, and, cool. uh, and and broadcast for Fox Sports. And there is something there. There really is something there. And this was playing at the Wacker, which was less than ideal. Um, they've got the, the tailor-made rectangular field there now, but, but I think it's about sixteen or 17,000 capacity. But uh, from my way of thinking, Perth has got to be the next uh, genuine NRL expansion. But growing the game internationally is crucial to uh, the success of the game. And look, I might be the ultimate um, optimist, but I think by everyone putting their heads together and their money together, to a degree, obviously, money, um, on an international scene, I think it explodes within 12 to 24 months. I don't think it has to be a long-term plan. I think it's got... I think a short-term plan, because... Our product is so good and unique. A short-term plan to blast it into different areas 
but then sustain it. I think it's a. I don't think it's the hardest question in rugby league, to be honest. There's seeds there. I'm surprised you said 12 to 24 months because that's that's pretty fast. How would you blast it? Are you talking, you know, um, giving exposure to the NRL? Are you talking, you know, getting clubs elsewhere? Like how would how would you how would you blast it in 12 to 24 oh, months? I'd love to see a real emphasis on uh, the South Pacific region. Yeah. Um, and generating, for their games, generating the genuine publicity that you see for a state of origin because it warrants it now. I would love to see something in the Northern Hemisphere um, with, with the becoming a little more regular and pumped up and pumped up through a television audience and a really concerted marketing campaign. What we're, we're able to, we're in such a good position that visually our product is so good and yeah. the cameras are so good that we could do up magical 30-second TV ads and not run them at 3 o'clock in the morning, run them in like-minded shows throughout the day and spend two weeks pumping up a game in Scotland or in Wales or in Ireland. And I I just think the product is so good and the game is so attractive visually that people are going to watch this and kids are going to watch this and go, wow, where's this been? Dad, I want to go. And my father was in promotion of, of motor racing and some of my father's dearest friends also in promotion and I, I still see them now and we recently had uh, we uh, uh, they did, they had a, a, a monster truck show um, that travelled the east coast of Australia and the monster trucks and it was the dirt bikes doing backflips and all that and the promoters key when they were looking at that was that if you appeal to the kids in your television campaign, the kids say to mum and dad, I want to go. I want to I go and watch this, mum. I want to go and watch this, dad. Um, so in, in sport and in entertainment, um, the kids are the key. And by hooking the kids, you sell four tickets to that family straight away. So, I'd, you know, I'd like to see something tailored specifically at the kids and that that can be in a wide range of things but you know attracting kids is also putting commercials in kids shows so they actually do see it on the tv during the ad breaks that's where they you know during a kids show on tv they promote the serials um they'll promote uh, you know they'll promote coca-cola and all those things as well but by actually thinking about your placement of who you're trying to attract and how you're trying to attract them, I think that'd be a really good start. It's uh, The kids thing is funny. I remember when I was growing up, you know, we'd get the free tickets because we played footy, so we'd get that free pass to go to any games, right, as yeah. long as it wasn't a sellout. And that, of course, means, like you said, if I'm going, my dad's going or my mum's going or my uncle's going or whatever. Exactly. So, you and know, they're, they're the ones with the wallet and the money. Exactly, that's right. And... Yeah. Um, there's, I remember, I remember in kindergarten, right? We had, I forget who it was at the time, but he was like the captain of the Sydney Kings, and he and one other came around and they show, you know, they had some basketball sessions, 
and I decided, you know what, I want to play basketball. Like that was great. And then yeah. my my teacher told me I was too short, and well, she was right because I'm I'm a fully grown man now at five foot seven or five foot eight, so I was never going to be a basketball <laughs> player. But but you know, and it and it just makes me wonder. You know, I now live in the inner west of Sydney, right? So it's West Tigers territory, and yeah. you know, you see a lot of you know a lot of Western. Um, Western, uh, Greater Western Sydney Giants players getting around to all the schools, all the primary schools. They've got AFL yeah. programs, they've got rugby union programs, they've got soccer programs. But and look, apologies to the Tigers. I'm sure they're doing a fair bit, but you know the Tigers should own this territory, and 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 it's and it they happens should. all over. So yeah, you know, it, it does. And my my sorry to interrupt. No, it's okay. My niece, my niece actually works in sort of the community school involvement with um, the GWS Giants and the AFL. Yeah. And it is constant, it is mandatory, and it is actually embraced by the club, but more importantly, it's embraced by the players. Um, The players in the NRL these days are, most days, most days, it's pretty much nine to five, they're around one another, whether it's video meetings, team meetings, gym training, skill sessions, wrestling, whatever, Um, surely in a 40-hour week with a club of 40 players, you can mandate that four groups of three players have to go out every week, and that's that's including the big names. That's not giving... Nathan Cleary and Jerome Luai for, you know, I'm just using them as a a case in point. That's not giving them, you know, just because they're superstars, they don't have to do it. Everyone has to do it. As you said, the kids are impressionable. You wanted to play basketball because you met a Sydney King. Um, If you you took Nathan, Jerome and a few of that Penrith crew out to the schools at Penrith, which is a, a traditionally strong rugby league nursery, but you are going to hook them straight away. Same on. for the Tigers, same yeah. for the Broncos, same for every club. And there is enough hours in the week. If everyone is doing it, there is enough hours in the week for this. You said the word mandatory, and I, I think that's the problem. It's not really mandatory in our sport. And the two players in question exactly. that you mentioned, I mean, Cleary's just been, as at time of recording, suspended for five weeks. So, yep. you know, he's got a bit more time, maybe, to go out to the schools, you know, so it doesn't... I or agree. The, or the, or the, injured, the injured guys yeah. in between, you know, they're not doing physio nine hours a day. Um, there, there is always going to be a group of three a couple of times a week on any specific day that, you know, should have the availability. Um, I'm not going to criticise the players because a lot of these young men do some wonderful things for charity and they do it off their own bat. But it should also probably be coming from higher up, you know, the boss at the club saying, on Tuesday, it's you, you and you, and on Thursday, it's you, you and you. And you've got to be at the school at 10 o'clock and and you're there for an hour. And there is no ifs or buts. It's just what it is because... In the modern day, look, it's still a game, but it's a sport and it's a, it's a business, and it's good for business if everyone's playing their role. And these kids are earning a lot of money, but only half of that 
in my estimation, is for what they actually produce on the field. The yeah. other half is for sponsorship, being a game ambassador, being a brand ambassador. And look, a lot of the players get it. A, a lot of them get it. And I'm going to give them a huge amount of credit for that. A lot of the players get that they do have responsibilities beyond the sideline. Um, but let's make, let's start off and make it mandatory and ensure that every club has to meet a legitimate um, quota annually. Um, no exceptions. I, I think I think there's a, a great start. And you book, you started this with the example of the the Sydney Kings. Terrific idea, mate. Because where you're living at the moment, as you said, the Tigers should absolutely own that joint. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And look, we can expand it further. You mentioned the international game, right? So, mm. I, you know, take that same concept and, and you said earlier again, you know, that this, the Pacific, you know, games, the, the Pacific international games could be as big as mm. Origin. You take, you know, we had earlier this year um, t uh, Samoa and Cook Islands during Origin uh, yep. week two, right? And we had Fiji and Papua New Guinea. Yep. Both played in Ke at Campbelltown. But, mm -hmm. but why why don't we think a little bit bigger? You know, imagine we took Fiji, Papua New Guinea to Suva and the Correct. players spent a week over there and you've got um, your Mike Casivas exactly right. and your Viliami Kikows at the schools and the kids watching and, and they see, you know, what that, they have potential to become these guys. You Let's know. go back to where we started with this conversation yeah. and about expansion and I, I use the term genuine yeah. expansion and genuine expansion of the game is taking a Fiji Cook Islands match to Fiji or to the Cook Islands. It's not playing it in Southwest Sydney. Exactly. Sure, it was it was well supported, and we, we loved having it, and we loved seeing it. But genuine rugby league expansion is taking it over there uh, to either Fiji or the Cook Islands, or to PNG or to Samoa or wherever it may be and genuinely expanding the footprint of the game. So, Andy, like, you've been around the game for a while, like I said, and you talk to a lot of players. What, what's stopping us? Because we're not the only two blokes that, that have these ideas. I'm pretty sure it's, it's quite a... Some of these concepts are universal to, to many of the thinkers in the game as well. Mm. So what's stopped our, our sport, which is over 100 years old now, and, and particularly here in Australia, where we're probably one of the, the most powerful... Sport, sporting associations in the country. What's stopping yep. this from happening, in your opinion? It all seems too logical with you and me sitting here, you know, solving the world's problems, <laughs> but those guys that are getting paid a lot of money, they can't. Um, I don't know what's what's stopping it, mate. I, I really don't. Um, the, internet, uh, the structure of the international rugby league community, uh, not the brand, but the community as a whole, and where the money comes from and then who gets the money has always confused me a little bit. No, I don't really know what the structure is. Um, and there, there would have been uh, good money made on the Campbelltown venture during rep round, two yep. test matches or two international matches. Um, there, there would have been good money. Well, who gets that? Does... Does the Cook Islands Rugby League and the Fijian Rugby League, do they split that 50-50? Or 
is that a game put on by the NRL or is it actually a game put on by the International Rugby League? And if so, who gets the money and where, where does the money go? Um, it, very convoluted. There's so many different RLs. Even in Australia, yeah. there's so many different RLs that it, it, it gets confusing over who's, whose brand it is and, and who owns it and who's making the money and who's paying the bills. One thing that I, I neglected to mention on, on this week's podcast, I actually had a, a very short chat with Adam Dewey and it yeah. was about... Um, uh, 2017 World Cup, and that's when Adam sort of first shot to prominence yeah. playing for Lebanon. Yep. And we, we had a lovely little chat about that, about how important it was uh, for his family, in particular his mum and his dad, but his aunties and his uncles, to be able to stand there and sing the national anthem, watching their son in a jersey on the field, uh, the extended family and how fabulous that was. But it got back to uh, the topic that now there are six- and seven-year-old boys and girls that watch Adam play for Lebanon. And these are young Lebanese kids. Well, if, if we're able to perpetuate that, in 10 years' time, we've got an, another generation of international footballers emerging in Australia on the East Coast because these 16, 17-year-old kids, instead of going and playing soccer, which traditionally has been, I guess, uh, it's been a sport where it's been embraced by the Lebanese community in Australia, these, these young kids are now looking at rugby league. And I thought that was a really terrific example that Adam brought up about genuine expansion, you know, the impressionable kids, but these impressionable kids are going to grow up to be young league fans and not young soccer fans. Exactly. I right. digress. Yeah. I digress. No, 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 you're right. I think I heard the same story with Hazem El Masri. You know, he moved over here from Lebanon as a two or three year old, yeah. and he was he was a soccer player. He's, he came from a family of soccer players, but you know, he grew up in Bankstown, and all the kids were playing footy, and he wanted to sort of fit in, and he, he started playing yep. footy and. As one of the greatest um, point scorers of all time, and the the point there on Lebanon as well is, you know, some of those pictures from that World Cup get beamed back to Lebanon, you know, and you there, there's a small domestic competition there at the moment. Yep. And, and and the people of Lebanon aren't used to seeing their nation on a big sporting stage and doing well. Yep. So all of a sudden, what's this rugby league thing? Um, and yeah. it's something we need to capitalise on. Agree. Agree. And you know what? We've spoken about the World Cup, albeit briefly, so far. What a perfect opportunity 2023 is to capitalise on what should be the most competitive World Cup we've all seen in a while. What a, what a fabulous opportunity 2023 is. Again, I'm the eternal optimist, and I'd love to see Rugby League take over the world tomorrow. <laughs> But if the right people are in the right places and the right systems are in place, gee, the, the game could grow substantially and significantly over the next 18 months. Well, it's a huge World Cup this year. And for me, it's probably yeah. one that, for the first time, there's more than a couple of nations that could win it, in my opinion anyway. Yep. Like I, I think Samoa 
uh, are, they're not even a dark horse anymore. Like everyone's talking about them no. as a genuine, a genuine chance. And we've got you know Australia, New Zealand, England, and we all we all remember what Tonga did last time. So, but but Andy, what are, what are you looking forward to most? I mean, you opened the conversation saying you can't wait for October fifteen. What are you looking forward to most for this World Cup this year? What I look forward to most is what I look forward to most every weekend, and that's not necessarily the flashy tries. I get swept up in the theatre and the emotion of rugby league. It is my reality TV. Um, <laughs> I, I love the theatre of it. I love the emotion. I love the tribalism of it. Um, because I'm wearing a Parramatta jersey and you're wearing a St. George Lawara jersey. I don't like you for 80 minutes. <laughs> I love that. I absolutely love it. Um, and, and when you take it to a, a, a state level for Origin, that increases. But when you take it to an international level, um, it, it, that's just the pinnacle. That is just the pinnacle to be able to watch... Uh, the pre-game rituals uh, to be able to absorb the pre-game national anthems, to watch the look in the player's face, to try and guess what he's thinking or who he's thinking of uh, and then the whistle sounds and the real stuff starts but what I'm looking forward to is the emotion, the theatre and the reality TV that is the greatest game in the world I love that man that's that's awesome, and I didn't realise you were a Para fan. Is that did you mention, did you pull Para out there, or you, you are actually a Parramatta fan? Are you allowed to say that? Um, uh, I'm allowed to say it. I'm a I'm a Para fan. I'm a I'm a sucker for punishment. I was one of my very first memories of uh, of live rugby league uh, is the 1986 Grand Final, ironically, which is Parramatta's last, as I get reminded daily. <laughs> yep. Uh, most most times by my wife. Um, but that, that was one of my, my genuinely first rugby league memories. I've got a faint memory of being at the SCG uh, for that famous state of origin that was played in the slop. Um, I'm, and and the, the year escapes me now, but uh, the 86 grand final, yeah, my, my, my first memory and and uh, and when I fell in love with it, I guess. I love it, mate. I didn't know that about you, so that's that's awesome stuff. Who um who do you think is going to take out the World Cup this year? If you had to place a bet, you you said you're a bit of a punter. Yeah, not not a very good one. So don't, <laughs> if anyone's listening, don't take this. Gamble as responsibly. Advice. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> Gamble responsibly, otherwise you'll be eating baked beans on a Sunday night like me. Um, I'd love caviar just once on a Sunday night. Um, I I think Australia has got to be favourite. Yeah, of course. Uh, and they they are favourite, and I think they've got to be favourite. I've got a feeling this English footy side is going to do something special. I really do. Interesting. Um, I I love the look of their back row, uh, the experience they now have. For mine, the English game at a national level hasn't quite got the balance right over the last over my generation anyway in the early in the late 70s early 80s as the stories go they were all the older coal miners and they were as tough as nails and they 
they'd bite you and they'd scratch you and they'd headbutt you and they'd they'd bat, they would bash you into victory. And then the 1982 Invincibles, the 1986 Unbeatables went over, and they were predominantly young Australian teams. And the whole theory behind the English Rugby League changed. They got rid of all the old blokes and, and put young youngsters in, inexperienced mm. youngsters. And that was the back end of the 80s, early 90s. And I just don't think they've got the mix right over the last 20 years of genuine youth that, that provides energy and genuine experience, which provides the calm. But I reckon that... I reckon they've got it this year. I really do. I, and I I look at a guy, a great example, and a, a terrific fella and a good mate of mine, Johnny Bateman. Yep. Still young enough to be young and enthusiastic and vibrant, provide energy. And a guy like Elliot Whitehead, who is battle-hardened, calm, calculated. And then you throw in a Radley... Uh, you know, what a back row that is potentially. It's wow. a good one. It is a good one. Isn't it? Um, yeah, the two South Pacific nations, Tonga and Samoa. New Zealand. I mean, there, there's five straight up that, look, it'd be regarded as an upset if Australia didn't win. But if either of those other four won the World Cup, I don't know if we would turn around and say... That stunned me. Yeah, exactly. Does that make sense? No, hundred percent, hundred percent. And that's a, that's a good spot to be, and that's a really good spot to be in for for international footy. Yeah, I mean it is, and and I'm not I'm not by any stretch saying we're the biggest sport in the world, you know, but I don't think you have five nations that would be a great chance of winning the soccer World Cup, you know, when those things come around either. Like there's always it's always Brazil or Italy or something like, or well, not Italy at the moment, but. You know, there's always one or two that are that are outright favourites, and you know, we're, yeah. by no means are we that big, but certainly it's it's getting very competitive, which um which excites me a great deal. Which it hasn't been, if we're going to be honest. Yeah. It it hasn't been up until probably 2008 when the Kiwis uh, under Nathan Kalis pulled off their miracle at Suncorp Stadium which is, you know, one of the most fabulous sporting events I've been to. Mm. Um, but, you know, up until 2008, it was very much, well, who are the Kangaroos playing in the final? Yeah. Uh, it, it, you know, Australia's still, still going to be favourite, rightfully so, but I, I wouldn't be stunned if either, either or any of those four other sides um, had something to say about that. Do you think the fact that the Aussies haven't played together for quite some time, I mean, we've got Origin and we've got week-to-week NRL, but the Aussie side hasn't come together for, I think it's been about three years now. I've lost count, COVID, mm. I've lost track with COVID, but does that affect, you know, the fact that, you know, guys, say, let's say a halves combination of Munster and Cleary, for example, they've never played together. Would that affect yep. the Aussies' chances? Is that Are they going in, you know without, you know, I guess enough practice together? Um, look, to a degree, they're elite players and they make these sides because they're so good and, and part of being so good is adapting 
the beauty of the World Cup for a, for a country like Australia that hasn't played together is there's the pool games and, you know, some of them they should win comfortably. Yeah. And that will be the opportunity to get your combinations right. And as a result, it would not surprise me in the slightest if the great Malcolm Norman Meninga um, <laughs> didn't rest, uh, as they traditionally do, yeah. didn't rest the uh, the big guns for some of the pool games because they, they are going to be short on combination. They really are. And, and I, I think a, a uh, an easier game, if I can be respectful in saying that, an easier game is a wonderful opportunity to get a hooker half, five, eight and full back with a bit of better understanding of what they're all doing. I love it, man. Is there a nation outside of that big five or, or maybe, you know, one of the women's teams or wheelchair teams that, you know, you you, you think could be maybe not a bolter, but you, you're excited to see? I'm looking forward. No, I, no, I don't. I, I think it's the five. I'll answer that. Pardon me, I'll answer that up front. I think it's the five of them. Another thing that intrigues me is how the deck of cards will look at the end of the World Cup at the end of November. By the, when I say deck of cards, how the ranking system will, will yeah. look and who's improved and, and who hasn't improved. And Look, every country will have gone forward and, and pro- progressed over the last four years. Um, I think this World Cup, I think there's the top five, then I think there's the rest. It's going to be really interesting to see in terms of rankings, in terms of reputation, in terms of confidence. You know, Team 6 through to Team 24, gee, I reckon there's going to be some changes in, in how it looks in rankings, uh, yeah. from now till now, you know, in 12 months' time. Yeah, love it, man. I love it. Well, man, we're coming up on time, which you are a good storyteller, and I just sort of lost myself. I'm looking at the time now and going, whoa. But, uh, mate, so we might have to leave it there. But I guess final question is, you know, you've like I said earlier, you interview a ton of players and ex-players every week. Are there any standouts? You know, I think you've had about 300 episodes of your podcast now and, of course, a long career in broadcast. Any standout interviews that you've had with Andy Raymond unfiltered? I did an interview uh, earlier in the year and I held it to coincide with the guest's 70th birthday and released it a couple of weeks ago and it's it's proof you don't need to necessarily be the biggest name to have the biggest story and it was a rugby league icon who played for the Newtown Jets and the Balmain Tigers called Neil Pringle back in the 1970s Love it. his story is more than just rugby league it's a rugby league based story but we venture into so many dark and different corners it is it's a human interest story it is probably the best interview i've done in 32 years it's something i'm really proud of um we released it a couple of weeks ago and the feedback has been absolutely phenomenal so in a in a pretty red hot field um I would say Neil Pringle at this stage, but the, what I enjoy about the storytelling and allowing my guests to tell the story is every story is different. Um, it doesn't have to be negative, positive or indifferent. It's just different. 
Uh, I'm actually doing a, a phone hookup interview later this week with an absolute icon of the international game. Oh, nice. Uh, which, which will please and, uh, and put a huge smile on the faces of, of many listeners to this wonderful podcast. And uh, to say I'm excited is, <laughs> is a little bit of an understatement. I can't wait. I love it. That's a great tease. And for anyone out there listening, make sure you follow along. Andy Raymond Unfiltered. And if you're an international listener, if you're outside of Australia, maybe uh, reach out to Andy on the socials DM and just say you're a kangaroo chaser and you're looking forward to that one. So, mate, that's it. That's all we have time for. I'm looking forward to that episode too, mate, so let me know when it's out and I'll make sure I'm having a listen and, and, and sharing it around as well. But, Andy Raymond, thanks for chasing kangaroos with me. It has been an absolute pleasure. I'm a, a huge admirer of your work and, and your, your dedication uh, to the international game, often uh, us, us, and I, I, I will put myself in in the category with you as inter, an international rugby league fans. It can, it can get a little bit lonely in it the can. NRL obsessed <laughs> Australia. Yep. Um, so I admire your dedication and, and how you're doing it, and uh, and wish you nothing but success moving forward.